0: Good morning. Hey, I was hoping to uh, continue on the theme of grace that we spoke to yesterday. And uh, with that in mind, I'll invite you to open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to read starting in verse 17. And uh, again, we started on the subject of grace yesterday and we finished on the subject of grace as well, um, talking about the power of grace to change a life and to make someone new. And um, so today I want to continue on that theme a little bit. Um, Just in in a way, you can never talk enough about the finished work of Christ and, uh, and what grace is all about. And grace and the conversations around grace and understanding grace always leads us back to the finished work of Christ. And that, again, is a topic that you really can never talk about too much. And so uh, I thought we'd take uh, today to continue on that theme. That we began last time so with that in mind in second corinthians chapter 5 let me go ahead and read a handful of verses here out of this chapter as always we want you to read the whole chapter read the whole book it's actually significant i guess i should just very quickly just in describing the church at corinth uh, the church at corinth was a church with a lot of problems as a matter of fact the first letter that paul writes to them uh, is actually written in response to some questions they have about a number of different topics and paul does answer them but not until he spends the first six chapters just just dealing with all kinds of problems within the church, some pretty incredible problems. Uh, And so uh, really that letter is spent dealing with that. Even the second letter is is, uh, focused somewhat on dealing with the problem of the people there sort of turning on him and following after false teachers. Well, the primary false teaching of the time and uh, the one that Paul most often combated was that of a group known as the Judaizers which was just a group of people that believed that you needed to be under the law. You needed to follow the law of Moses, even as one saved by grace, which means they didn't really understand, much less teach the idea of what grace was all about. And as we mentioned yesterday, grace is not, strictly speaking, a New Testament concept. Uh, at one point we'll come, uh, some, someday we'll come to Paul's uh, letter to the Galatians and we'll teach through it, And uh, we'll look in particular at chapter three where Paul explains that all the way back, God has been dealing with mankind through his grace. And so here in 2 Corinthians, speaking to this church of believers that were recipients of the grace of God, and as we spoke about yesterday, grace also trains us to uh, deny worldly lusts and all of those kinds of things. Um, Here in this letter to the Corinthians, uh, they're, they're a group of people that need to embrace this idea. Grace, as we talked about yesterday and will no doubt uh, continue to mention, um, grace allows us to respond to God with our good works in response to his grace, in response to our salvation and such. Um, we don't earn grace, and we'll talk about that today as we continue. So that being said, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, starting in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, check it out. Come and see. The new has come. of God. And so here it is, this again, this pointing to grace and the fact that by the finished work of Christ, because what he did completely took care of the problem of our separation from God. Therefore, if we're in Christ, in other words, if, if we have put our trust in him, and I love the the, the the picture of being in Christ, sort of being in that protected place, that safe place. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new. Uh, the old, that as we spoke of last time, the the, the desires of the flesh, the, uh, the the ungodliness and the worldly mindsets and attitudes and such, these things all fade to the distance and, uh, to, the and uh, to the background, and ultimately become uh, really just a part of our past. But we're new now. Now again, that doesn't mean we've never we never sin again. All that kind of a thing. There is a teaching in the church that once you're saved, you never sin again. Uh, there's a certain holiness camp that, that holds that view. I would have to disagree biblically with that. I think that uh, even Paul in in Romans 7 describes his struggles that he presently experiences. Uh, and, and where do we know more about the grace of God than in Paul's teaching? So clearly we're capable of still sinning. But again, by and large, it becomes something of the past. It's not the defining characteristic of who we are anymore because we're new now, both new practically, but most importantly, we're new positionally. We're in Christ now, whereas before we were outside of Christ. And so when we talk about uh, grace and this idea of being new in Christ, this is the beautiful result of that finished work and of the grace that has been so lavishly poured out as a result. And so, um, it it really and the way paul describes it this becomes the greatest of all transactions not to sound clinical about it but it helps us to sort of put it into a a frame that we understand what happened at the cross. Uh, It's it's a much more beautiful thing than maybe what I'm about to sort of explain, but it's helpful to understand it in these terms because it helps us understand both our position and what the accomplishment uh, is rooted in, the the concepts it's rooted in. Um, When we talk about this this great transaction, um, that I'll point to John chapter 19 where Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished, okay? that word tetelestai, that Greek word uh, is also, uh, it speaks of Jesus being done with what he was here to accomplish. And the term itself speaks of the idea of a debt being paid in full, okay? So when when, when you read in your English New Testament where it says it is finished or it is accomplished, uh, that same word there again speaks of the idea of it is finished, it is accomplished in the sense of that debt is now paid in full. That debt of the millennia of sin that had come before and the millennia of sin that had come after, past, present, and future. In that moment, Jesus reconciled the ledgers, as it were. And Paul uses this word reconciled in that way, the idea of setting uh, of, of dealing with a variance, of, of settling, you know, a debt, essentially, is, is what's kind of in view there, um, and it becomes uh, something that is prevalent in Paul's writing. One particular place I'll even invite you to turn to in Colossians chapter two. So turn right a couple of books, and you'll be a few books really, and you'll be in uh, Paul's writing to the Colossians. And here in chapter two, I'm going to read this passage and kind of round out what we're describing here. In Colossians chapter two, uh, in particular, I'm gonna go ahead and read verses 13 and 14, where Paul says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. Now again, that may sound a little bit clinical, but it's helpful for us to understand the picture that Paul is painting here. Uh, if you owed a debt to society, we understand this idea. You know, you go to jail, you pay your, your you, you do the crime, you, you, uh, you do the time, you know. And so uh, your debt to society is this, is, is a concept we understand. Well, Paul brings that into the view here in describing what Jesus accomplished in wiping away that handwriting of, of debts, of transgressions that was against us. If you were in prison during that time, there would be a literal list, much like today, although today it's, you know, likely computerized and stuff, but you'd have a physical list on parchment or vellum or, you know, the various writing uh, means that they had then, and you'd have it written out, all of the crimes that you were responsible for, your debt to society, and this would be kept. Uh, Some explain that it was nailed to the door of 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 your cell where you would stay, but whatever the case, there was this list. And as time went by, as you served your time, as you did the things that were required of you to pay your debt to society, they would essentially scratch off each of those debts. And then when you'd finally paid the last of it, they would have, have crossed off the last one, they would roll it up, and they would seal it, and they would give it to you, and you would have this with you, and it was the evidence that your debt has been paid, and so from this picture of a paid debt, Paul is saying that all of the handwriting of transgressions, all of our violations of the law of God, of which there are many, if you're watching this and you think, well, I'm not so bad. Well, if you stood next to me and said you're not so bad, you'd probably be right. But if you stood next to Jesus and said I'm not so bad, you'd be infinitely wrong, okay? All of us would be. There's no there's uh, there's no, there's no standing in the light of who Jesus is and saying, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. No, there's none of that. We are totally, Paul even says here, dead in sin, right? Uh, those who are dead in sin, he reconciled. Uh, our sin was so bad. It literally, spiritually dead. And so when when Jesus pays our debt, when he takes that handwriting of all of the things that we've ever done to offend God, and that's what, that's what we're made of, that's what we do. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul would say in Romans. Well, he took that debt, And he paid for it having nailed it to the cross, having been nailed to the cross. That debt essentially was nailed to the cross and paid in full. And hence, like in the uh, example, which I I guess maybe I didn't mention this in the example that Paul alludes to, but when they would give you that scroll with that crossed out list of debts that you owed, they would stamp on it that word, to tellestai, paid in full. It is accomplished. Your freedom is now yours. Well, in terms of our sin, we could never pay that debt, and that's the glory of the gospel. We could never pay that debt, and so he paid it for us. And that's what Paul goes on to say here in, back in Second Corinthians 5, in verse 21, where, uh, where, where Paul says, for our sakes, he, speaking of the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, this beautiful transaction. Jesus came and became sin with our sin that we, in exchange, might be made righteous with his righteousness. In other words, we are in right standing with God like Jesus himself is now because of his debt, his paying of our debt for us. And it's the beautiful glory of the transaction of the gospel. And now because of this, we no longer uh, have to feel like we have to earn it in some way. We can't. Now, that doesn't mean we're not grateful. It doesn't mean we don't want to do all that we can to bless God in return in that. But the actual debt itself, that which is the source and fountain of our gratitude, that that work that Jesus finished, is truly finished. And now we come by faith. Matter of fact, let's look at two other passages in this regard here. First off, let me lead you over to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse four to verse nine. Some of this is going to be familiar to, to some of you, but for those it's not. And by all means, if you share this video with somebody, as you're sharing your faith, uh, th- these are things that are important for us to understand in understanding the gospel and that beautiful freeing message that it brings to us of God's grace. Notice in Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made uh, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, practically speaking, that happens when we go to heaven're we're, we're there in his presence, but in 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 what Paul is picturing is that even now, as children of God, by faith, which he'll still talk about here in a moment, we we get to enjoy the privileges of sonship, of childship, sons and daughters, really. Um uh, all because of this finished work. Again, he goes on, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, we will be trophies of his grace. In other words, it's a good thing when somebody looks at us and says, wow, you know what, if God can save that person, he can save me. That's exactly the message we want to send. If God can save a sinner like me, then he can save a sinner like you. He goes on to finish the thought. For by grace, again, you've been saved uh, through faith, not saved again, but again, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast or brag or claim to have done it themselves. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, He saves us by his grace, by sending Jesus into the world to die for our sins, the perfect for the imperfect, the righteous for the unrighteous, the innocent for the guilty. And having saved us and made us trophies of his grace, he then lays out good works for us to do, not that we might earn his grace, but that we might live in such a way to respond to his grace. We can't take credit for the good works we do because it's only God who lays them out for us. The whole thing is his doing, and it's beautiful, it's wonderful. As a matter of fact, let me finish on that thought by inviting you to turn one more book to the left from Ephesians, and that's the book of Galatians. And just to kind of put a nail in the coffin to this idea that we can somehow earn our salvation, notice what Paul says here in Galatians chapter two. In verse 20, it says, I have, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now listen to this, here it is, verse 21. I do not nullify or set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law or through my obedience or my good works or my good deeds and such, then Christ died for nothing, for no purpose, needlessly. Now, of course, that's impossible. Jesus didn't die for nothing, for no purpose. Even in the garden, when Jesus cries out, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Heaven is silent. God the Father does not answer the Son but instead implies that there is no other way. This is the way to make men right with God. And Jesus went through with it. Well, Paul here says, of course, Paul, a great Pharisee of the Pharisees, uh, in his BC days, is before Christ days, um, understood this concept of trying to be right by his obedience to the law. But here he says, look, I can't be. As a matter of fact, elsewhere, he would talk about how all of his efforts were really amounting to nothing. Uh, Isaiah says, all of our righteousness is filthy rags. Uh, it, is, it is disheartening to us personally to think that that's what we're made of. It is something that grates against our sense of determination, our, our self-will, our sense of self at all, <clears throat> to think that we can't somehow earn this thing, that we can't somehow stand before God <clears throat> and say, I did it, kind of a Frank Sinatra theology. I did it my way, kind of a thing. But the truth is, we can't, we can't. We're saved wholly by his grace, which we receive by faith. And this is the great transaction once again. And then Paul, in the midst of, back in 2 Corinthians chapter five, in the midst of this talks about how That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not holding their trespasses against them, ultimately paying for them on the cross. And then he gives this message of reconciliation to Paul and his team, the ambassadors for Christ, but not just to Paul. Uh, the mission that Jesus gives in the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all the nations, um, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus taught. Well, Paul is carrying on that Great Commission, and as a matter of fact, he refers to it in the terms of being an ambassador for Christ. He says we're ambassadors for Christ, and that we, by the way, is certainly indicative of he and his missions team, but not just them. Because Jesus gives the Great Commission to believers, we too, I would say, pretty fairly, I think, that we're also included in this idea of being ambassadors with this message of reconciliation. To us has been entrusted this message of reconciliation. Now, just to round out that picture, as an ambassador, what that means is that we are representatives of another place. Okay, It is true, we are citizens of whatever country we're in, right? I'm an American. Wherever you're watching this, you're a citizen of that country. And that citizenship is valuable to us. As a matter of fact, Paul's various citizenships, both he, was, he had Roman citizenship, he, he was uh, connected with Greek heritage. Of course, he was a Hebrew by birth. These things all became useful for him in the service of his ultimate ambassadorship, which is that of heaven's country. As ambassadors for Christ, that means we are representatives of him, and where he's from. And so as we are ambassadors of Christ, we are coming with a message from heaven with terms of peace, reconciliation, being made right with God. Now that those terms do involve surrender, don't they? It means I can't just push my own will and push my way into heaven by my own doing. No, I have to lay down my arms, I have to lay down my pride. It's a lot easier to lay down a gun than to lay down your pride. And that is what we're called to do. And once we do though, once we receive those terms of peace, we become citizens as well. And that again is the great transaction, the great transfer, the great uh, benefit that was gained uh, by God's grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that is the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the most famous verse in the Bible, and it's the simplest explanation of the truth of this beautiful gift and transaction that God has accomplished. And so that said, um, let me go ahead here and close uh, today and pray uh, not just that we would sort of understand the fullness of God's grace in our lives and even our, our, our beautiful privilege of going out now as ambassadors with this good news, uh, but also for those who may be watching that have never received that free gift. I wanna pray for you, that if you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of the master, to walk in his ways and read his word to know what it is that he would want of us and also to allow him that space in our life to change us, uh, as we walk away from the old life and all of its temptations into a new life, there is commitment to that. There is sacrifice involved in that. Uh, we don't earn our salvation through that, but it does become the natural outworking and response to that grace. It costs him everything, but at the same time, there is something that we do as we just simply permit Jesus to ultimately work in our lives in such a way to make us more like him. And I make that point because, and we had this discussion the other night at our midweek as well, uh, we, we don't want to leave the impression that you just sort of say a prayer, hey, I've got my fire insurance, essentially, and I'm good to go. No change, no nothing. Well, Jesus said you can tell a tree by its fruit. And the truth is, is that if you are a believer, that should become evident by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Again, if you're if you're not really a believer, then that work is at best your own efforts, and it can only go so far. But if you are a believer and the Holy Spirit lives within you, If God himself is working within you, that how can that not produce a changed life? I'm not measuring our lives against each other, but surely fruit is born when the seed of the word of God is planted and takes root. And so my prayer is that you wouldn't see this as simply just a way to sort of check a box and make sure you're okay when you die and then just forget about it until it's time to pull the card out or something but rather this would become a living, breathing relationship with Jesus, walking with him, not only receiving him in the moment, but walking with him for a lifetime. Conversion, as we've said before, is, is, the, is the transaction, the, the, the beautiful transformation of a moment, this, this, this moving from death to life. But sanctification, or constantly being set apart for God, is the journey of a lifetime spent following Jesus. And that's what we're after. Jesus said make disciples, not just converts, but full following, uh, uh, people fully following Jesus. So that being said, let me pray for these things. And I'll invite you to pray to receive Jesus as well. And then I would appreciate if you reach out to me and I can make sure that we help you find a good local church to plug into and get you a Bible if you don't have one and everything. And of course, we invite you to continue watching these two as we go through the word together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. Your grace is glorious. Your goodness toward us is so undeserved, but so lavish and so rich and so uh, so clearly experienced, both as we look at the beautiful world you've given us to live in, but even more than that, the fact that you have invited us to come and to walk with you and to know you well. We pray that, Father, we would take advantage of that beautiful opportunity and not forsake it. Father, for those of us who know you already, help us to, uh, to, to re-engage, to re-enter into that sense, that understanding, that daily commitment to walking in the footsteps of Jesus, to knowing you and knowing you well and giving you that place in our lives. Many of us remember when we got saved and and, and you just had that 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 central place in our lives where everything was changing and we loved it. And then as time goes by, sometimes we grow somewhat cold. Father, rekindle the passion in our hearts for you. That again, this would be a living, breathing, daily walk with thee. And Father, if there is anyone watching right now, if there's anybody uh, who is hearing these words and is realizing, you know, I have never truly given my heart to the Lord. I've never truly surrendered. I've never accepted his terms of peace and set aside my own efforts to sort of stand before him one day and claim to be right. Uh, Father, if they're ready now to receive Jesus personally as their own Lord and Savior, then I wanna just uh, pray that you would put it on their hearts to enter into that relationship now. And with that, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just my way of uh, of, of helping you maybe do something you've never done before and in inviting Jesus into your heart. If you're ready, then join me now. Heavenly Father, I admit to you and I confess to you I'm coming clean to you. I am absolutely a sinner. I've thought I've done pretty well for most of my life, but I realize now that if I'm not perfect, then I fall short, and I have to admit I'm not. As a matter of fact, I'm not just not perfect. I am absolutely a sinner, and I need your grace. And so I put my trust in Jesus as my own Lord and Savior, believing that he died for my sins, past, present, and future, and that he rose from the dead the third day after dying on the cross, and that there's hope beyond the grave, and that one day I will see you face to face, and I desperately want to be right before you. And so I receive Jesus personally now, again as my own Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, for reconciling my ledger, for wiping clean all of the transgressions that I'm guilty of, and instead giving me your grace. Help me to follow you every day of my life. Help me to learn more about you as I spend time in your word. As I fellowship with believers, help me to grow in my faith and move away from the life of temptation and sin that I once lived and to walk in the newness of life as a new creation in Christ for the rest of my days, allowing you that space to make me more and more like Jesus every day. I thank you again for loving me and for being gracious to me and being merciful to me as sinner. And I love you and praise you and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, I invite you to reach out. I'm not going to ask you for money. I'm not going to make you pay for anything. I just want to make sure that after uh, making a commitment to follow Jesus, that you go to a good church, a church that teaches the word of God. A church that will help you to grow in your faith as you grow alongside other believers. Uh and that's going to be important to you. I was the beneficiary of being around some great friends who love the Lord. And I went to a good Bible church uh back in Illinois where I'm from, and I grew in my faith, and God has been working in my life as a result of simply giving him that space. And I want you to be able to be in that same kind of a place. So with that being said, just reach out, whether it's in the comments and our YouTube page here, uh if I would Strangely, Facebook has been really goofy for me, so I'd encourage you to either reach out on our YouTube channel or on our website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can contact me through there or on my own personal blog, parsonspad.com. You can email me through that as well. But in any case, the Lord bless you and we'll continue next time going through God's word. God bless you. Have a great day in Jesus' name. Amen.